At this point in Jesus' ministry, huge crowds were following him, excited about his new thought that this kingdom was open to everyone, as if he was trying to call out the merely curious from those really serious about this coming kingdom. That open to all attitude was very attractive to people and actually became the bedrock on which Paul stood as he preached the gospel to us pagans. But that kingdom has demands. Luke had Jesus say, If any man comes to me without hating his father, mother, wife, children, brother, sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, hate is a nasty word, and I don't think Jesus would have used it. It's a good example of the way translations can be misleading. The Hebrew word actually means an emphatic way of expressing a total detachment. That's different. A possible warning for potential followers to hear because every family at that time might try to dissuade a family member from following this radical, which he was. I experienced that necessity of that detachment as a Roman Catholic friend that I'm in contact with as his counselor went through an inner struggle to tell his family that he was gay. He had to prepare himself for rejection, even though it didn't happen, and they absolutely affirmed him as a person. Reading scripture in its time frame, carrying one's cross, was a phrase, I think, from the early church, not Jesus. At that time in his life, Jesus would not have known how he would die. Now, some people dispute that, but I think he was a real human being with real human limitations, not knowing the future, etc. There was no such plan, much less one dictated by God. Remember, virtually all meaning comes from hindsight. Note that it is not Jesus' cross that you have to carry, just your own. I speak from personal experience on this one. Many years ago, driving back from Boston, I was supposed to have left a young parishioner with drug problems at a psychiatric unit. It was just terrible. We encountered teenage zombies walking around getting minimal help. So bad, I didn't let him stay. About 10 miles from home, I had a grand mall seizure. Slumped unconscious at the wheel, foot still on the gas, traveling at full speed down Interstate 195, Matt was able to grab my foot off the gas and guide the car to the shoulder where a road crew phoned for an ambulance. Now, a life lesson. My mother had always told me to always wear clean underwear. <laughs> Getting to the hospital, shedding my clothes for everything they were doing, I had the raddiest t-shirt on I had ever worn. Point. A scary time as I went through testing to find the cause 
a possible brain tumor. Now, except for the senior warden, no one at St. Gabriel's knew anything had happened. My wife, Jill, drove me to and from my appointments. No one knew. During Holy Week, two years later, I suffered another seizure right in my office at the church. Evidently, the inner, inert part of that medication was blocking the medication that I was supposed to receive. Then the incident got really strange. As I regained consciousness, the two people looking down at me were the chalice bearers scheduled for the 10 o'clock Easter Eucharist. And all three EMTs in the ambulance were former acolytes. That Sunday, the sermon began, a funny thing happened on the way to Easter. I shared what had happened. The seizure had been caused by a hard bump to my frontal lobe several years later, earlier, when I hit my head on the wall over the stairs at church as I came down really fast. When you come downstairs, if you're just slowly walking down, it's different than coming down fast. You're higher, I learned. I literally saw stars. But that sermon produced a miracle. People started making appointments to see me in far greater numbers than ever before, sharing their pain. My openness and vulnerability had allowed them to share and be vulnerable. Evidently, my perceived strength and self-confidence had been blocking like that inert part of the medication. Hearing my weakness, they were able to share their own. That, I realized, was the power of the cross. A loving God revealed in the weakness of a man hanging there helpless. So, what is your cross to bear? It may seem strange to think that your weakness, your vulnerability, can be a gift, can be your pathway to God, to a deeper understanding and acceptance of yourself, and a broader acceptance of others. Your fear your mortality, your authentic desires that you'd rather not admit, each a gift. Your cross can be a focus for new learning, breaking old boundaries, made possible and liberating through the power of Jesus' spirit, his attitude, his approach to life. But it costs Jesus said. You better be prepared for that. You may need to do some planning. Count the cost to your gut, your peace of mind, even your relationships. What in your life are you holding back as you seek the peace of God? Time to get serious if you're going to be a part of the kingdom. 
inspiration comes in very strange ways. So I was surprised on Facebook last Sunday. My sister-in-law, Judy, sent a quote from Bishop Stephen Charleston that I think describes what Jesus was getting at that day. He wrote, Spirituality is best when it gets its hands dirty helping others. Faith does not float on clouds. It walks in the streets of human reality. It stands in the midst of disaster and tragedy. It sustains all creation. It enters into the painful spaces where love struggles to exist. Faith is a tool. It is meant to be used where it is needed most. Therefore, it works on the most difficult jobs, the ones that are often complex and even dangerous. Faith is the sweat equity of believing. The joy we receive is not the promise of what is to come, but the experience of what is now. We practice what we believe. We share what we love. Jesus started separating wheat from chaff that day, separating mere followers from believers. Perhaps that event can help us consider our own relationship with Jesus and our place in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.